Hey everybody, welcome to today's show. What we have is two shows that we were going to have separate, but we've put them together and made kind of one uh, combination show. So I'm going to do a quick intro and then we will throw to those. First up will be an interview with Scott Gershon. He should be a familiar name to many listeners because he seems to have had his hand in every major film and just about every video game that has come out in the last 30 or so years. The interview is set up through the kind folks at the Game Sound Conference, which is going to be held in L.A. in late September. They helped to set this up because Scott will be one of the featured speakers at the conference this year. He's going to be giving a talk about techniques for best practices and implementing 3D audio and virtual reality. If you like what you hear from him in our conversation that's coming up, head over to gamesound.com to register for the conference, and when you do, enter TBender16, all one word, no spaces, all caps, in the coupon box. This will get you 15% off the conference fee. The guys who run the conference are big fans of the podcast, and they set this up for us and gave us this discount to uh, help us out. So please, if you're planning to head to the conference, use TBender16 to get that 15% off. That'll be great. The links will also be available on our site at ToneBendersPodcast.com. After I talk to Scott Gershon, next up will be an interview with Arjun Vandershoot of AudioEase. They have recently released a groundbreaking new reverb software suite aimed at the audio post-production market called Indoor. This interview with Mr. Vandershoot is the first contribution to the podcast from outside of Renee and I. Mike Varela contacted us and wanted to contribute and did a great job with the segment. So big thanks to Mike. Indoor appears to be a really cool new plug-in, and I learned a lot listening to this interview myself. Before we throw to our first interview, just a quick heads up. The interview with Scott Gershon was done over the phone, which we ideally don't like to do, but sometimes you have to. And the phone line that we got was a really crappy one, unfortunately. So some of it's a bit hard to understand. So we did the best we could with it. Listen and get what you can out of it. He's a really cool guy, so I think it's still worth airing, even though the quality isn't up to our regular standards. Okay, so here we go to Scott Gershon. Away we go. We have an excellent guest today. We have Scott Gershon of Technicolor in L.A. He's currently their director of sound editorial. He's worked on over 100 films, including Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim, Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill 1 and 2, Sam Mendes' American Beauty, and J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot in 2009. He's also been very busy in the game audio world, working on mega titles like The Last of Us, Resident Evil, Gears of War, Fable, and most recently Doom. He will be one of the featured speakers at the upcoming Game Sound Conference that takes place in Los Angeles from September 27th to 28th. You can go to gamesoundcon.com to learn more about the conference and register if you're interested. How you doing, Scott? Welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, at the Game Sound Con, you're one of the speakers, and you're going to be talking about implementing 3D audio for virtual reality. Is that correct? Absolutely, yes. VR is a very interesting medium. Kind of a little bit of everything in that. You know, 3D audio, which is based on HRTS technology, binaural, ambient sonics, it's been around for a while, so it's not new. Mm-hmm. So in VR, it's object-based audio. Uh, and, and also if we're talking uh, a VR 360 or just VR, immersive, total virtual reality. One uses a game engine, the other one uses a linear format. In the past, you know, I was dealing with 3D audio say, almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. But the problem was is nobody really had a significant need to use headphones. Yeah. And I've tried uh, using HRTF technologies in, in gaming and film, and it, it, it's been with mixed results. Really the best way to experience 3D audio using those technologies is with headphones. 
And up to this point, there's been no reason to use headphones. Well, now the virtual reality's got goggles, and the way to hear the audio is with headphones. It now is that perfect opportunity to take advantage of those technologies. And that's where the new companies are coming in. So right now, we still are in the wild, wild west in regards to any kind of standardization for release formats and what technology they're using. It's, uh, it's an interesting sandbox to play in these days, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all uh, shakes out. So let's uh, back up a little bit. When, how did you first get into the sound industry? You know, I, uh, I went to Berklee College of Music. I always loved audio. And I think, you know, like many people, I think I saw Star Wars and loved the sound design, also loved the visual effects. So I, I kind of figured that I had a, a significant interest in one or the other, either visually or audibly. But being a musician and a sound person, I really love manipulating sound. Uh, I was a guitar player. I had, you know, every pedal that I could, I could afford at that time. Mm-hmm. And I loved also, I got into modular since the early 80s. I got into Moogs and Buchlas, and again, just creating sound was kind of neat. Um, I found that as a composer and as a musician, I was attracted to film score type music, uh, progressive rock, things to me that had dynamics, were able to tell a story with music. At the time, I, I didn't know the direction I was going in, but now, in retrospect, when I look back, it was pretty much a straight line to where I'm at today. I love film. I love storytelling. After Berkeley, I, I made my way to L.A. and started knocking on the doors. I was uh, worked at Record Plant in Cherokee for a while on the music side. Still kept getting that, that, that pull towards the visual market. And like everybody else in L.A., it was, you know, when I made money, I made good money. When I didn't, I didn't. So I was kind of broke. <laughs> um, and then uh, found post-production, started doing uh, cartoons. Did Transformers and G.I. Joe and Defenders of the Earth and Wildfire and all these these things. But then I, I, I got an opportunity to do a brand new show called Beauty and the Beast okay. with Linda Hamilton. So I ended up going that direction. And, and at that time, I, I wasn't really into mag. So uh, I used Synclavier, 32 megabyte, not gigs, but megs. Yes. Um, Synclavier, and I started um, using samplers. And it was very much samplers, whether they were EMU1s, EMU2s, all the way up. Um, and uh, at that time, you know, I was working with a company called Hybrid Arts on the Atari computers. Uh, you know, digital design didn't exist. They, they existed a little later as sound tools, not even Pro Tools, but sound tools. And, um, you know, whether we were using Amigas and Ataris, um, Mac had just come out, so uh, again, it was kind of the wild, wild west. And, and, and that was a very critical time for me, and there's a reason I'll pay in a second, was that we were using technology to figure out how to, to sync to film, sync sounds to film, and use them in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So after doing Honey, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, one of my mentors had offered me a, a movie coming out called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And some other friends of mine had just started a brand new tech company called Waveframe. Oh, okay. So I liked the sound of Waveframe better than Sinclair because Sinclair had some aliasing issues and, and, and it didn't sound as organic. So I ended up doing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, mostly actually on an Atari computer, and then uh, moved to the Waveframe. And then the next three movies, which was really nice for me, 
was uh, born on the 4th of July, Glory, and Still Magnolia. Wow, that's a heck of a run. Yeah, I just kind of found my way and started working through the technologies that were available to me. And eventually got into disc recording, and you know, now everybody's doing it. So it, it, it's no big deal. And the reason why this was important in the days of Tablet and with Key, that as I evolved in my career, I got into gaming. So I started looking at gaming engines, and the first thing I noticed was, wait a minute, in reality, this is a sampler. Mm-hmm. The same thing. How I trigger sounds. And like any kind of good sample, you don't want to take the same sample and just keep triggering it over and over and over. Uh, when I did uh, True Lies, the uh, Harrier Jet, the pod gun on the Harrier Jet, is me doing paradiddles on an octopad. Oh, cool. Uh, triggering AK-47s and the different types of guns. So when I had Jim with me, I would just kind of play it and perform it. You know, do I, you know, how do I want to accent? You know, you know, rather than just loop it. So that that way, uh, same thing with the cliffhanger. Um, I ended up playing all the helicopter wops with drums. So it was a, a different approach. It was always about how do I get all this stuff done quick enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the, the background battles in Glory are all done a sampler just by pressing keys. The whole point of it, though, is it had to be organic. It had to be the illusion that the audience doesn't know who or what I am. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Because the only way that I think I'm successful is for people not to know what I do. Because the moment you think about one of the crafts within a, uh, within a project, whether it be a movie or a game, it takes, you right takes out them of out of that project mm-hmm. and, and breaks the illusion. Now afterwards, if they go, wow, that was really cool, you know, how was it done, then that's fine. But while you're experiencing that project, it needs to be submersive. You need to, you know, 100% buy in on what we're trying to, the story we're trying to tell, rather than analyze how we did it. I find that really interesting that you've kind of taken your career as a way to kind of stay ahead of everybody the whole way. And that makes sense leading into the talk that you're going to be doing, being ahead of 3D audio and virtual reality. Other than just trying to be different, is there a creative drive that's pulling you towards this? You know, I, I think I've always liked technology. Um, you know, AES and the NAM show, I get really excited. <laughs> you know, it's like watching a puppy getting a dog biscuit, you know. I love anything that helps me create sound and, and the technology that it brings. So have you been to the Game Sound Conference before? I have. Yeah. I went to the first one, which was in, I think, 2009, maybe 2008, and I haven't been back since, so uh, it's way bigger than it was that year. I, I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, I've worked with Brian over the years. Brian Schmidt. When I was doing a lot of work with Microsoft. I just think it's fantastic what he's created that gives people the ability to hear some advanced discussions, the beginning discussions, and, and really hear from the people that are doing the work. What's going on? What do they know? And it's one of those things that you can keep coming every year because every, you know, we learn, every year we do something, we learn something different. So it's kind of an ongoing experience that I think is invaluable to a lot of the community and the people that participate. Yeah, one thing that I find really exciting about it right now, particularly this year, is that when I went, as I mentioned, it was uh, the first one years ago, it was very music-based for uh, gaming. Yeah. Uh, and now this year, there's you and a few other people who are decidedly more on the sound design, uh, sound effects side. 
So at your talk, are you going to be doing demos or just speaking? What, what, what's your plan? Or do you have that figured out yet? You still got a couple weeks to figure it out. Yeah, 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 we're still figuring it out. I think, you know, Victor and I are talking together, Victor Phoenix. And Victor, he lives and breathes VR. I, I, I sometimes wonder if he just goes to sleep with goggles on, you know. <laughs> but, um, and he's great, you know, and, and we're literally like right side, left side brain. You know, the hard part about showing VR kind of goggle-based. Yeah. I mean, I can show you a stereoscopic picture on a screen. Okay, that's something. I think at this point, because we don't have that much time to talk, probably going to be more talking and, and talk about challenges, the workflow, how do we work. And interesting enough, right after Game SoundCon, I think a couple of days later, we're also talking at AES. Yes. You know, a lot of times when I lecture, and I've lectured a bunch, I'll start on a conversation, and I actually watch the audience and how they react. Mm-hmm. If I feel that I'm getting a lot of nods and people are attentive, I'll stay down that track. If I feel that, for whatever reason, it's not connecting, I might ask people, you know, what do they do in the audience? And then change my whole approach to address those things that interest them. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, I'm there to build some knowledge in, uh, in, in why they came. Yeah, like a good DJ at a dance club. You play the music that people want to hear, not what you want to hear. Exactly. Ultimately, it's about what you want to say. So when you write music or when you tell a story with audio, it actually has nothing to do with the technology. It has to do with what do I want to say, what do I want to do, why do I want to say it, how do I want to use audio, what role does audio play within this project? Is it, is it supportive? Is it driving? Is it scary? Is it big? You know, Pacific Rim, I have 25-story creatures yelling and giant robots. It's got to sound big. It's got to be loud. If it's not, then it doesn't make sense. When they did American Beauty, it was the opposite. It was more about how to use silence and negative space mm-hmm. and, and the choices that were made to further that story. Once you figure that out, then you figure out, okay, what technology is available to me and in VR, it's going to be numerous technologies because there's no one technology that will support, you know, Gear VR and Vive and Rift and mm-hmm. Sony's new platform and yada, yada, yada. So ultimately, you've got to figure out what do you want to do. And once you figure that out, then you go, okay, now, with the technology available to me, how do I approach it? I haven't worked on any VR projects myself yet. I'm waist deep in a series that I'm working on. My friends who have been, they're saying that it's kind of a 25% sound work and 75% problem solving. Have you found it to be something like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, a lot of it is 100 questions or it's really the one question to the client. Uh, what is your delivery format and what do you want to play back on? Yeah. And their response is usually everything. <laughs> and you go, okay. Um, um, I think the only thing that's a little crazy in VR the tools change so much that people using different versions have different impacts on how you can approach it. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, which version of blah, blah tool do you have? Oh, that one. Okay, that means we can't do that. Yeah, and keeping up with that is Herculean, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I think that's what my friends were referencing when they were uh, mentioning the percentages there. So when you are going to be working on a VR project, does it affect how you record uh, sound effects for it If you're when you go out in the field to record? Sometimes, maybe. You know, it, it depends on what it is. But what's great about VR and all this new technology, it's something that we're constantly experimenting with. 
I don't go into VR as a game guy or as a film guy. I'm trying to go in with someone who's got knowledge in many areas and figure out how to create a workflow that's unique to VR, drawing upon what I know from the different industries I've worked in and maybe inventing a few new ones. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, anyone who wants to listen to you talk further can go to the Game Sound Conference in Los Angeles, September 27th and 28th. Can uh, get there through gamesoundcon.com. And if you do end up registering, make sure you add the coupon code TBender16, and you can get an extra 15% discount for uh, listening to the podcast. So, Scott, thank you for taking the time to be with us, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks okay. A Have a good one. Hi, my name's Mike Varela. I got a chance to sit down with Audion this week of AudioEase to talk about the company, its history, and its plugins. But I specifically wanted to talk to him about Indoor, the new plugin they've just released. They've taken the technology from Altiverb and Speakerphone, the IR convolution process, and turned it into a really cool plugin that allows you to change the spatial relationship between the microphone and the sound source itself enabling you to have sounds outside of doors or through windows or even upstairs. And they've recorded a lot of environments that allow us to do this now in post-production. It's great for mixers, editors, and sound designers. We sat down and I first asked him what he did for the company. Well, I'm one of the founders and um, I'm basically coming up with ideas for products. Lots of times they start with me and then I throw it in the group and then we take it a bit for a spin. But most important uh, role at AudioEase for me is the is the IDs, bringing in the IDs. And I'm also the recordist for the impulse responses, both for Altiverb and for Indoor, mm-hmm. uh, which I normally do with Aram. That's my recording right hand and also the support guy and he does the web backend programming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, IDs and uh, recording, that that's that would be me. And listening to the end result, yeah. see whether it'll pass. We're a small outfit. We normally don't work uh, on two or three projects simultaneously, so I don't run from project A to B to C like I would be doing in larger companies. But uh, that gives us uh, very much focus, and um, it, it's really nice. We're a small group, but we're, we're like a well-oiled machine. It, it's really wonderful. This is a sound design podcast, and so often we're using tools to mangle sounds, and a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast, or gals as well, are out recording uh, source sounds and then bringing them back and doing stuff with them. So a lot of us are familiar with the, the space design of, of Altiverb, and of course in post, uh, speakerphone is used heavily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the history of you guys? Did you guys, I know you guys were the first really in the IR space. Um, have you been around for a long time? Has this been now 10 years or so? Actually, um, uh, we're closing in on 15 years for Altiverb. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit longer. And um, we had been around for five, six years before that. We, uh, we actually brought out uh, about eight to 10 products before that that weren't as successful. We started our group in 1994, but it's nice to, to work for Post now at, at this stage because uh, that turns out to be a really consistent group. We have the Post guys, their career span decades. So the funny thing is we're talking to the same guys as we did in 1994 lots of times. Sure. And um, so there's a lot less movement in that market than... Um, 
than in music, for instance. I, I hardly know music producers from 1994 anymore. Mm -hmm. We were early with uh, impulse response uh, stuff we were the first to bring it to the to the desktop computer even though it had been described earlier um, that will that's actually in real time because it could could be done in non-real time earlier with a product called like C sound which was a, an open source uh, avant-garde uh, computer music tool mm. and it was also a thing uh, by uh, Tom Erbe called soundtech that could also do it as an offline process. You would just have to wait an uh, entire night for to something uh, <laughs> nice to render. I know that with AltaVerb, you guys came out and targeted uh, the post and the music sides, and a lot of the uh, videos you have online are using samples of drums and, and guitars. Um, and I know that we just talked about uh, post being the guys that you know most. Would you say the split is is even, or do you think more post people are buying your products, Altiverb specifically, but I guess the entire range? No, it's um, in speakerphone, I think it's dominantly post. Mm -hmm. um, but in um, in Altiverb, it's the other way around. It's dominantly music. Mm. Uh, so we have more music clients for Altiverb than post clients, which is one of the reasons we came up with uh, Indoor. Because uh, if you look at uh, Altiverb for music, the demands to make Altiver better for music are really different from the ones that uh, that Post guys are interested in. Post is all about it has to sound spot on and you need to be there really quick. It should be extremely stable. We have no time at all to do anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have to get something out of that really quickly and intuitively. Things like that, stability, speed of use, those things were less interesting to musicians. For musicians, we had to do uh, more uh, elaborate EQing. We had to go to very special rooms around the globe that were very famous and uh, extremely well sounding. While it started to feel a little bit strange that we put a bunch of living rooms for the post guys in Altiver. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, traveled halfway around the world for the music guys. I wanted to do those humble spaces that are now in indoor. The way I uh, I really wanted to do them was uh, was just inside out everything, every nuance of every space. Try and capture that because the I actually knew that other than slapping uh, more living rooms in uh, Altiverb, you can get so many sounds from a single living room. So it, it felt like um, overdoing it by just adding more spaces in, in, uh, in Altiverb for the post guys. I just wanted to do less spaces, but a lot more angles and distances and also incorporate those ideas of uh, something next door in the, in the other room. So yeah, we're wor working for post now, probably because the post guys are not the major group for Altiverb. It, we couldn't give the post guys in Altiverb everything they needed to, uh, well, to make a, a real next step without hurting the product for music. Ah, interesting. Like adding uh, top channels for Atmos, for instance, which musicians is really interested in that. It, it, it's not, uh, it, there's a few score mixers that might get a kick out of that, but that's it. It's just not a big deal having nine channels of reverb for music people. But internally, it's uh, for a product like uh, Altiverb, it's a huge issue. It really has to be, part of it has to be rewritten to be able to accommodate for nine channels of reverb. And we wanted to do that from the ground up in, a, in another product and do something well, without compromises. Totally. 
Yeah, I want to definitely get into indoor because it's really excited me. And that was the reason I, I reached out to you because I am a post guy and All right. and I yeah. do use AltaVerb already for that stuff. Um, can you talk just a, a real quick bit about how you guys record the IRs? I know that'll go into indoor as well, but what you guys do when you go out and, and square up a space, what the process is like for you? It is. It depends. What What would you like to hear, a music space or a post space? Well, I guess maybe a little bit of both because there's probably a couple music guys who are listening to this. I, I, the process is that I know with indoor, you're going to go above and beyond with the location of the speaker and the microphone, mm -hmm. but in general, what the process is of recording. So for Altiver, yeah, the, the process is um, you, the thing we claim is that you can make your audios, audio sound as if it is played back through the, through the speaker that I'm bringing to that space and pick it up with the microphones that I'm bringing to that space. So you're using a space in Altiverb as your personal echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of the sound of the speaker, the room, the microphones, the positions they're in. That is what I'm capturing. And the thing we're claiming is that you can't tell the difference between actually playing your audio back through that speaker and pick it up with those microphones or doing it via Altiver. So when you think of that, it really matters which uh, speaker and microphones you use. They have to be neutral if you want them to be, mm -hmm. if you want them to sound like lifelike. So that's the most important thing. I bring gear that I really like for its neutrality. And then for music, mainly it's a lot of arranging. The recording is mostly uh, arranging permission to get into a room and try and book a, get a schedule and book flights and hotels to match that schedule and stuff like that and try and get a speaker halfway around the world without it breaking stuff like that or renting it if I'm lucky then I'm setting up in a room I'm usually by myself or with Aram. If it's uh, not in Europe, then uh, I normally travel uh, alone. Then I bring uh, six DPA 4006 microphones that I set up in the room in some sort of a, like two squares behind each other, like three rows behind each other. Mm. They're in the center of the room. And then I put a speaker on the stage left and I play back a sweep tone, which is a sine wave that goes from five hertz to 22 kilohertz. Kilohertz, mm. um, and it takes about 30 seconds that's normally the highlight of my travel it's um, when I when I'm doing that and I feel my heart pounding in my ears while I'm on that stage I know that I actually made made it all the way up to the recording and everything is checking out that's great yeah and then I move the speaker to center stage and then I repeat and then I move the speaker to right stage and repeat then I move the microphones when it's a concert hall, I move them to the balconies, for instance, and uh, I repeat that process, left, center, right. And then I have a, a bunch of stereo positions. Uh, those are the microphones. And I have uh, three sources on the, on the stage, so you can put stereo material into it, but also mono from a single speaker in the center. And then uh, that's, a, that's a, the process of getting a music space. It's trying to get a, a really quick preview right at the spot to find out whether um, uh, nothing failed, and uh, that's uh, mainly that's mainly the job. I'm I'm normally no longer busy than like two hours in a in a room, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. But getting up to that point takes a lot longer usually. Is there uh, a difference in using a sign sweep versus like a starter pistol? I know it would scare people, I guess, if you're in a place with a starter pistol. Well, you're, you're right. A starter, starter pistol is bound to get you arrested at some point. 
especially if you travel with it, it's uh, it, that's of course not an option at all. Although you should see the DPA. I, I'm, I mean, you probably know what they look like. They they look rather illegal too. I think, especially when you carry six in a little box. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely. So. Um, yeah, it's really easy to keep uh, that under control. You know, if you if you think of a sine wave sweep, there's a frequency going from down to up, right? Right. Over time. So if you put a frequency axis uh, vertically and a time axis horizontally, it would be some sort of a diagonal line mm. going up. Now, if you would think of a spike, then all frequencies happen simultaneously. A spike is more like a starter pistol bang. Mm -hmm. So that's a straight line vertical. So what the deconvolution does is it puts that diagonal line upward. That's what it does. A sweep is more is, is like a fallen over spike in time. Gotcha. And the really nice thing is that it, that I can use 30 full seconds, which is 30 times 48 kilohertz, 40, uh, 48,000 samples it, rather than a single sample to get my energy into a room. Gotcha. You got time on your side there then. I have time on my side. I can play at decent volumes where speakers don't collapse yet. Um, I get to push down environmental noise with every doubling of the time. I push that down another 3 dB so that I can get ridiculous signal to noise ratio by sweeping for, for 30 or 60 or 90 seconds in a room. Even when the conditions aren't perfect, like a football stadium, it's never silent there. You should hear my takes. It's it's uh, it's really uh, marvelous that uh, that something comes out of it. Yeah, I bet. And the sine wave is also guaranteed to give me energy in every frequency that I'm interested in. Because I, the, if I leave out a frequency during recording, you will never be able to obtain that frequency from that room afterwards via AltaVerb. So I need to get all of them in because I don't know what your audio will put into AltaVerb. Sure. Starter pistol bang has real big notches and it lacks low and high frequencies, so it's really, really crappy for making impulse responses. Actually, gotcha. I know in in post um, we're interested in in quickly matching ADR, and I know you have done a video on YouTube on your channel mm -hmm. about the process. But it's really exciting to take uh, like a clapper noise from on set from the you know the beginning of the take and add that in in post. Um, do you find a lot of guys are doing that these days? Have you talked to a lot of people who are using this? When I started out and I found this technology useful to do ADR matching, I, I really didn't know anything about the hierarchy, uh, the onset hierarchy of, uh, of, of how that works, what the mechanics are. Right now, it feels completely ridiculous for me to uh, demand like a minute of silence with everybody on set and then running a sweep from a, from a sound guy. It is way too costly to run a set to do something like that. You you can possibly do, maybe you can do it after the fact, but then the, without the people, uh, you could return. And also what doesn't help is that uh, recordists, uh, on-set recordists, are often not the people that work in post. Yeah, it's two different people. And the post guy could be really happy with the sweep recorded by the, by the guy on set, but there's really nothing in it for the guy recording it. Uh, with the boom, right. other than offering a possible service to the post guy, and but but the post guy normally doesn't hire him. I'm not sure what how how politically um, this actually can work out ever. But um, actually, I think the post guy should maybe 
think of um, how much time it could save if he just drove out there and do a little sweep. And uh, for that, clapper boards, uh, sometimes even hand claps or starter pistols can be a, at least a fantastic starting point for you to work. And then EQ the hell out of it if, uh, if something is lacking. But then at least you have a reflection that matches the production sound or you have uh, the length right, something like that, or the balance between direct and reverb ratio, stuff like that. You can get right from something like that really quickly. Right. I have these stories of uh, the King Kong movie, for instance, when I just started out doing this, they were sampling every space in that um, in that steel ship because there was a lot of production sound and improvisations going on there by the actors and uh, sometimes uh, uh, just part of a line was lost and they ADR'd that and they had all the spaces of that ship so that was that worked out really wonderful that's amazing yeah so let's move to indoor what was the inception of, of indoor why did you guys create this product well you, over the over the over the years uh, we had compiled ideas from going to trade shows and talking to a lot of really good guys uh, and we had compiled this list of things that could be wonderful for post but we just weren't sure how to fit them into Altiverb without really breaking Altiverb for a lot of other people. So we decided to build something from the ground up and then cherry pick from that idea list to get to something that would be really different, put those very specific post ideas into it. Indoor is uh, not only doing rooms, but it also doing rooms to other rooms. Right. In a way that Altiverb does too, right. you know, the, ne- the next door sets, but it was really awkward when you look at those pictures in Altiverb, it comes to mind that you would want to actually grab the little speaker and the microphone rather than click on another picture where they're set up in another space. You see a house, a dollhouse type view, uh, like a Sims uh, maybe, mm-hmm. and then um, then you put a speaker in a spot where we have put a speaker in that house uh, during recording. And then you can put a microphone somewhere else and you see the spots on the floor that are options. You can just click microphones and speakers around. And then you can also put a microphone somewhere in another room. So separate the speaker and the microphone. And then you can close doors between those rooms. Wow. And it, then it gets completely like the next door samples. And then we came up with another thing that was required for post. Lots of times a little movement is required in the in the acoustic space because the the camera is walking with the with the person for instance which is typically a situation where ADR is needed because the camera and the cameraman will make noises so you have to redo lines so you can't use the production sound is what i mean mm-hmm. but when these cameras are moving sometimes a people in post want to create some movement in the in the reverb as well not just the direct sound but also take the reverb channels and move them around a little bit and for instance a product uh, spanner of uh, Justin Webster mm-hmm. was used for that on the output of Altiverb just just by grabbing the output channels and just tossing it around a little bit but it didn't sound completely right to me because the, you should never I think you should stay away from from turning tails of reverbs. But when you when you turn like the first third of a second of a reverb, 
then it sounds starts sounding really natural. It's like there's a local part to a reverb and a long part. And that local part, you want to toss and turn, and it sounds really lifelike. It brings the whole thing really to life. So we came up with uh, the algorithms to turn the microphone system after the fact, because it's uh, the microphone system that I used doing the recordings mm -hmm. for indoor is a symmetrical system. So uh, when I can, when I find the algorithms to turn it a quarter, I can basically turn it the whole 360 oh, wow. because then I can just switch to another make then the left microphone becomes the right microphone and so on and I can turn it a quarter more so I can turn full circles so you get to put the microphone somewhere the speaker somewhere and then you get to turn the microphone so that you can hear some movement in the reverb which is really nice and should make you feel really safe uh, there will be no clicks no zippers um, and i can still create some movement in this in this um, in this reverb i'm thinking of all these design uh, options now of having you know someone in a bedroom in a film and having someone a monster or a person walking by the door you know and even now with you're saying the 7.0 in the atmos moving upstairs you know in the attic or or moving down into the basement you know those type of effects and are, those are automatable having someone move from one place to the next well you can't you, you cannot um you cannot go anywhere where we haven't gone the ba the basic idea is uh that uh all the options that you can click on are real recordings so we made over a thousand impulse responses for this product with a nine microphone setup still there are only 10 call it buildings or uh locations because there's also vehicles so all in all about 60 rooms but over a thousand impulse responses because we wanted a lot of positions between those positions you cannot really slide because then we would kind of be faking right, it again right. we haven't been there so we don't know what it sounds like you can of course fade if you use two indoors but it sound it doesn't sound as good but we we think we designed the spots to be in such that you that you will have enough of that variety and you don't you're not really tempted to move uh, in that smooth manner from one spot to the other yeah at least that's what i'm hoping what kind of spaces i see on your website that you guys have done a couple interior locations houses yeah what are some of the other spaces you guys have done well there's like three living houses one of them is uh, is empty before every, anybody moved in so it sounds really hollow one of them is a french townhouse that has a lot of uh, soft rooms so uh, lots of uh, fabric um, and some tiled rooms in there as well um, there is a, a third house which is a bungalow so it doesn't have a top floor and it is really it has really wide spaces so low and wide then there is a, re, a recreational vehicle so we can have that plasticky sound of a of a recreational vehicle's shower or a, a bathroom and uh, we can we can do stuff like having audio playback from the dashboard uh, speakers to the bedroom in the in the rear and close close the door to that so you can have oh, wow. i mean lots of scenes as you know because you're doing this work yeah they are single sound worlds that are actually there like uh, music playing from the radio uh, somebody stomping his feet a motor uh, stuff like that rain on the roof right that's the real sound world and then you just have perspective changes so you move from the bedroom to the toilet to the front seat 
oftentimes you will want to switch the balance between those sounds that are actually continuous in a natural manner. Sure. So that uh, that you hear the window wipers when you are looking at the guy riding the vehicle, and you won't hear the window wipers when you're with his daughter in the in the back of of the vehicle. Right. Something like that. It's so funny that you can actually do the whole thing with impulse responses because for those four sounds, if you would just insert four indoors and you would place the speakers where you want those sounds to be, uh, you can just move your microphone around and it'll it the balance will be completely natural. So if you do go in the back, then you lose the uh, speaker that is playing back your window wipers, for instance. Right. The whole idea that, that you can make a natural mix just by using impulse responses, a natural mix of the real world, that excites me a lot. You also said something uh, about Atmos, and I know that a lot of people are beginning to mix an Atmos. How does that work from the inception of that and recording the IRs? Is uh, record those um, channels with extra microphones because we don't upmix stuff into more channels than we have recorded. We like to record as many channels as you're going to be using. So for this product, we put the limit at nine. Uh, that would be 7.0 plus uh, ceiling channels, mm-hmm. the so-called Atmos beds. And uh, we have a separate microphone for each dose, for each of those channels, which is really stable sounding rather than trying to mix stuff in between speakers. We just give each speaker its own microphone. Right. So that's... Uh, that's the basic idea. And then I had to come up with a microphone system that would do justice to uh, to so many speakers and reverb and also be stable. And um, I, re- I historically, I like the spaced omnidirectional microphones a lot. Mm-hmm. But we had to get a little bit more separation because we needed to do smaller spaces. We couldn't, we had to bring the microphones closer together. Obviously, you can't be too close to a wall, for instance. And if you need to get cram nine microphones into a toilet, there just isn't a lot of, uh, or actually a bathroom, there isn't so much space. So uh, we ended up putting baffles in between the microphones to get some more channel separation. So yeah, we have some sort of a Christmas tree full of microphones with baffles in between them. Rather sturdy actually, because we had to move it around to a lot of spaces without it breaking. I double checked how the thing would sound first on a Dolby Atmos stage in Barcelona and then later in my own room where I uh, rigged it to do the nine channels. It translated really well, just becomes a very stable image without a lot of uh, phasing issues that you would get otherwise. Right, yeah, with any kind of upmixing plugin. Yeah, yeah. Being a um, being a sound design podcast, um, we often are looking for tools to mangle our audio and to create new stuff. Have you talked to any sound designers who are doing things with your projects or, or pushing the bar? Yeah. And... and doing things interesting with them yeah there are people um, that will put in slabs of noise into altiverb as impulse responses and then trigger that noise with noise again to make big beds of noise that resemble the original noise just to put a similar sounding background something you would probably do with rx or something uh, now if you listen to scores of tom newman you have orchestras uh, piano and eerie sounds um, and those eerie sounds, those are made with uh, tricks like putting in bowed iron, 
vibraphone sounds into altiverpa's impulse responses and then triggering them with voice for instance huh. it's really weird what comes out then it's like a glass harp uh, stuff like that that sounds exciting plenty of examples i've gotten from uh from people in music that that are very creative and sometimes in sound design as well where there seems to be a little bit more time in sound design than uh, than in some other lines of uh, in the post business and you obviously have plans to build out and continually record for indoor to create new spaces i assume it's more of a closed system because of the numbers of recordings uh, and samples taken that it kind of we're getting the irs or spaces from you yeah it's um uh, it is closed in so far that um that it's really not easy to make uh, impulse responses like that. This is a really a right. step up. Uh, you need the exact gear that we have to make the, all the switches sound sound natural and not hear a gear switch, for instance, rather than just rooms. So nobody else can make these impulse responses, I'm sure. So far, it's closed. I wouldn't rule out we would be recording new spaces. I do get some ideas for new spaces for indoor, but that's also not uh, a trivial thing because what I just described, a two and a half to three hour session for a concert hall with maybe a week of uh, preparation by flying there and uh, talking to people and stuff like that, that is really nothing. An indoor space would take over a month for two people full time to work on. Wow. So it's not easy to add spaces. For starters, there isn't something in indoor. There isn't a concept like a single space. Right. It's it's a complete house with seven spaces in it or ten. And you can move to any space. And the whole idea of indoor is that you can you can make it sound from any space to any space. So you have to do the whole thing uh, before you can add something to indoor. And then you have to do the graphics. And you've probably seen them. Yeah. Uh, that, that isn't a trivial thing either. Yeah. So... Uh, I don't think it'll go really fast adding spaces to indoor, but I wouldn't rule out uh, adding some. I'm just waiting for what the um, requests are because we have been extremely careful in selecting the spaces that that are in indoor. And I think if you play with it for a little bit, you will find that almost everything you need is in there for, for a post, except for the really long spaces like stadiums and also obviously outdoor spaces aren't in there. It, it has been a lot of work, but it also this is going to be a product that's going to stay with us for a long while. I've, I've just told you that uh, Altiverb has been 15 years now. I expect something like that out of indoor as well. This is not going to go away. Not, none of these spaces are going to sound out of fashion in 15 years from now. <laughs> there is nothing that I can think of that would increase the quality of the sampling of these spaces either. So... Um, I think we're going to be stuck with this product for a little bit. When you think of time spans like those, then, the, well, the two years that we've put into making uh, these uh, recordings, uh, maybe not so much work. Yeah, sure. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. We really appreciate it. It was really great to find out about this new product. I'm, I'm very excited about it, and I know people can check it out at audioease.com. Uh, it's on the front page, and you can kind of look through some of the uh, locations and some of the highlights on it. So thank you so much for sitting down with us. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I really like to talk about uh, the product. And uh, some next time, I'd like to talk to you and, and pick your brain about what you're doing, because that's, as I said, is uh, the real interesting thing for me, talking to post guys and knowing what they need or what they work with every day. That's uh, That's been my life in, uh, in audio ease. Yeah. So thanks. Have a great uh, rest of your week. All right. Thanks so much.
Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Stacey DePass, who voiced our bumpers. Special thanks for setting up and doing the interview with Arjun Vandershoot of AudioEase. Go out to Mike Varela. If you are interested in what Mike is up to, you can check out his website at nuancetone.com. N-U-A-N-C-E-T-O-N-E.com. Thanks again go out to Scott Gershon for coming on the show. If you want to hear him speak at the Game Sound Conference in Los Angeles on September 27th and 28th, go to gamesoundcon.com and use coupon code TBender16, all one word, all caps, to get an extra 15% discount at registration. You can follow the show on Twitter via at the Tonebenders. You can go to tonebenderspodcast.com to leave a comment. Also check us out on facebook.com slash tonebenderspodcast. You can always help out the show by jumping on the Amazon and B&H links found on our website or going to tonebenderspodcast.com slash Amazon or slash BH. If you are already going to be buying something for either of these places, please consider going through our links. Currently, these links only work in the USA. So if you are outside those borders and you want to help, you can always go to our site and click on support the podcast. To be clear, we're not asking for huge sums of cash. We're not looking to get rich. Renee and I look at this as a non-profit undertaking. The donations don't pay us. They just go to cover our costs to get the podcast out in the world. We don't mind not making money, but ideally it would be great for the podcast to not cost us any money either which it currently does. So breaking even is really just our goal. So if you have a few bucks that you can send our way, it would be much appreciated. Okay, that wraps up another episode. Keep your ears peaked because we have a bunch of cool things coming up. So there should be a bit of a run here with episodes coming out more frequently. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Tone Vendors. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneVendorsPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the ToneVendors on Twitter or find ToneVendors Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at ToneVendorsPodcast.com. Mm-hmm.